And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation you might be able to get in on. We often have guests who write to me. So if you think you have something to say about travel, if you're in the industry, or if you have a travel question, email FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. But for everybody else, we hope that you'll visit us not just on radio, but also online. We have a website that we're very proud of. It's called Fromers.com, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S. We have lots of fun social media. Uh, channels on Facebook, on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Twitter. You find us at the word Fromers, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S. And one of the things we have online right now is our best places to go in 2020. Uh, I talked about this last week. This is an article that we do yearly because we believe that destinations are like fine wines. They're better in some years than in others. So last week I talked about the fact that Tokyo is going to have perhaps the most high-tech Olympics ever. And so we think that that's a place to go. Dad, I keep cutting you off. Tokyo Tokyo is a a sole exception to the rule that we generally follow in choosing the best places to go. Virtually all of those best places are places where you could genuinely say they are not overcrowded. They are not subject to over for tourism. They are places generally where you will be among the few tourists going there, and yet your visit is very much recommended by us. Yes, like Papua New Guinea. <laughs> <laughs> Who goes to Papua New Guinea, Paul? Only real adventurers, uh, right. because you're going to be going into the jungle and visiting tribes of people who are living the way they have for centuries, and having going to a place... Uh, that has the world's lowest tourism density. They have the least visitors of any country <laughs> in the world, but that's about to change uh, because now their Princess Cruises is going to be going to Papua New Guinea, as is Cunard Cruises. Right. There's a company, Intrepid Travel, is about to go there. So this is a place that we think that you really should go to now before it gets too crowded with visitors because visitors are are on finding out that this is a place that has pristine nature sites that has incredible birding with birds that you don't see anywhere else in the world yes there are certain parts where there are State Department warnings against going. It's not really a place you go independently. You really need a guide because these are people who aren't used to visitors and who might not always, <laughs> you're laughing, might not be welcoming. What, what were you about to say, Dad? I was about to say that there's another place within the country of Italy which is lightly visited. And I'm talking, of course, about the province that is known as Emilia-Romagna. Tell us why that, too, deserves to be among the places to visit in the year 2020. Well, we talked about this last week. So very briefly, 
Bologna, which is the capital city of Emilia Romagna, is known as Bologna the Fat because <laughs> everybody there they think should be fat because they eat the best food in. Uh, Italy. This is where Parmesan cheese is from. This is where um, oh that uh, that famous uh, uh, vinegar is from. Where the the famous pork is from. I mean, it's it's just an incredible place for eating. As well, we're telling people this is the year to go to the poles, and we mean both the North Pole and the South Pole. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Partially, it has to do with climate change. Unfortunately, this is a, an area where the landscape is changing dramatically because of our warming world, and and there's a lot of ice melt. And so, if you want to see it now, may be the time. And you can actually see more of it because waterways have opened up. There used to be waterways that were entirely covered by ice that now boats can go through. And so a new industry is arising to see this area of the world because you, you can literally go to more places than you couldn't, could just a couple of years ago. And because of that, it used to be when you went to the poles to see the penguins, to see other nature there and, and the spectacular landscapes, you did so on a very rough and tumble expedition cruise ship. And these were cruise ships where you might be sleeping on a bunk bed and you're not going to be getting four-star meals. But nowadays, all of the big, luxurious lines are getting into this. So you could take a Silver Sea cruise to the poles. You could go there with Princess. You could go there with plate with and, and with, live in luxury and live in luxury while, while having pole, can you imagine? having these incredible experiences. Now that being said, this is a real bucket list item. This is probably going to be the most expensive vacation of your oh existence. My gosh. We can't I don't want to, you know, sugarcoat that. This is a really expensive vacation, you know, 1000, 2000, 3000 dollars per day. So by contrast, Pauline, we also list among the 20 best places to go in 2020 destinations within the United States, of which the most surprising, it surprised me when I heard first, first heard about it, is the state of Indiana. I know. I was there last year and I was blown away. We are putting it on the list, not just because I love it, and I do. I think it's a fabulous place to visit, but because it has two destinations that are celebrating important birthdays. One is celebrating its first birthday, and one is celebrating its 200th. The one that's celebrating its first birthday is the Indiana Dunes National Park. It's our newest national park. And you'd think a new national park has to be in the wilds of Alaska or in Hawaii. Nope. It's off a great lake. It has these incredible dunes, thick forests, bogs brimming with unique plants. Um, it's just a, a really, really gorgeous place to have a beach vacation, but not saltwater beach. This is, you know, a great lake. So you, you get clear water and the beach. The 200th anniversary is for the city of Indianapolis. And I know Indianapolis well because in a former life, I was an actor and I did summer stock in Indianapolis. And it was no great shakes back then. This is 25 years ago. Now it has 
top-class restaurants, really great restaurants. It has spectacular museums. It has arguably the finest children's museum in the country, making it a great place for kids. And because this is where Indianapolis Speedway is, you know, where the Indy 500 happens, some of the museum is all about the science behind race cars. What kid wouldn't like that? Another part is was fascinating for me as an adult with with these giant dinosaurs. There's also an art museum called New Fields, which has a lot of old masters' paintings, but is trying to show them in a more contemporary way. So next to the old masters' painting, which in a normal art museum, you just go see that, they have like a description of the scientific a technology behind the pigments used in it so that people who aren't art lovers, you know, who might be more scientifically inclined or about the history that went into this painting, why this particular subject was picked, what the mythology is. They're, they've made art really, really accessible, not just for the art history majors among us, and they have one of the most important museums of Western art in the United States. So, so much to see and do. And of course, the Indi- Indianapolis 500 is a lot of fun. It's a great city. Now, Indianapolis celebrating its 200th anniversary, yes. but you also have a place that is celebrating its 400th anniversary yes. in the state of Massachusetts. In the state of Ma- well, All of us are aware of the place. It's a double anniversary. It's Plymouth, Massachusetts. We're going to party like it's 1612 or 1620, <laughs> I should say. And there's going to be a incredible redo of the Mayflower that's going to uh, sail there. There's going to be lots of very culturally well, sensitive it's actually programs. A, it's actually a replica of the actual Mayflower uh-huh. that will be coming into yes. Plymouth, Massachusetts. From Plymouth, England. England and they true. also are celebrating this anniversary of the uh, – so you could go to both. And have a, have a great time at both. Uh, so, yeah, it's an exciting time to be in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Of course, there's Plymouth Plantation, which has been there for a while, but they're going to be getting a refurbishment, I understand. And you're going to be seeing a lot of interesting recreations of the life that the first people who came to this country from Europe, I'm not going to, not the First Nations, but the first settlers on the Mayflower the incredibly difficult life they had is brought to life at Plymouth Plantation. So those are just a couple of the the places we think you should go. Again, if you want to see this, you can go to fromers.com slash best places 2020. We hope you'll visit us there. I think you'll find a lot of interesting vacation opportunities. Uh, if you're trying to think, where should I go next year? I don't think we have enough time, Paul. Yeah, we, we've we're going to have to. We're going to have to say uh, goodbye for this segment. But there's much more of the travel show coming. So do not turn that dial. We'll, we'll be right back after just a few messages.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. We have a serious subject to talk about right now. And in the studio, we have Bill McGee. He's an aviation advisor for Consumer Reports, here to talk about a big problem that's often encountered by families who simply wish to travel together. Welcome to the Frommer Travel Show, Bill. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks very much, Pauline. I appreciate it. So so give the background of, of this issue, if you Sure. Would. I mean, for years, you know, families traveled together on airlines and it wasn't a problem. You made a booking, you sat together. But of course, in the last 12 years or so, we've seen this big influx of fees. We all know about it. Yep. Fees for baggage, fees for everything. And that includes for what the airlines call preferred seating. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, basically, you, you have a situation now where you might make a booking for a family of four with two young children, and you're sitting in two different rows or three different rows. Wow. And um, so Congress viewed this as a serious enough problem back in 2016 that they passed a law, both houses, both parties, it was signed by the president, for directing the DOT to look at this. Right. And basically prohibit the airlines with, for families with children under 13 that they shouldn't have to pay an extra fee. Right. But there was a little bit of a loophole in the language, and the DOT basically looked at it, said nothing publicly, and uh, two years went by, and in 2018, Consumer Reports, uh, we filed a Freedom of Information Act request, right. and we got the results, and we found horrific complaints that were forwarded to us. Can you tell us yeah. I mean, what, what were I the I spent three the days reading them, yeah. and there were numerous, numerous complaints of children as young as three, two, and believe it or not, one, oh. one-year-old children being seated separately from their families and being told, well, if you want to sit together, you have to pay a fee. And in some cases, the children were autistic. In one case, oh. children, the child suffered seizures. Um, you know, this is the language that Congress used. Uh, you know, sometimes laws are very hard to read. This was very simple to read. And so these children actually did sit uh, not with their parents because I know I dealt with this as a mom myself. And I usually just raised a big stink until somebody unwillingly changed seats right. with me. And I felt terrible and having to ask that. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think we've all been there on one way or the other, either when we're traveling with a child, as I did when my son was young, or on the other side, when someone asks you to move. And that's not the solution, clearly. You know, right. there needs to be a policy in place. The DOT was directed to give the airlines that policy. They haven't done it. When I spent three now, what days... Now, was, what was the loophole? You said there was a loophole Yeah, the loophole, the they were just basically... There was just one sentence that said, if the DOT deems appropriate. Well, uh-huh. obviously, they, they, de- they, didn't they didn't deem appropriate. So we're very concerned that they uh, care more about the interests of the airlines Bill, than about... Bill, to what do you attribute this non-comprehending status of the DT, DOT? Are the, are the wrong people uh, uh, making up the membership of the DOT? Who are they? Well, I think it's uh, it's something that has we've seen now for for several administrations. It's huh. not as if it's just one so administration. So it's not a partisan. Thing. It's not no. a blue red thing. It's not you know we we we've had these problems now for years where the huh. DOT is responding to the interests of airlines and mm-hmm. not the American public. Wow. And it's a government agency. Yeah, they're there to to defend us and protect us. And unfortunately, in too many cases. They're not doing it. And, and this is a serious safety issue, too, because there, you know, there's not only the concerns of assaults. Uh, there was an FBI report just in 2018 that cited the dangers of sexual assaults on aircraft. And, of course, children are oh, among the most vulnerable victims. Terrible. But you also have the safety issue of, of safely evacuating an aircraft in an emergency. If yeah. a young child is sitting rows away from a parent, 
that could not not only harm the two of them, it could harm everyone else. It's, you know, they're blocking an exit trying to get to the child. Absolutely. I've often thought that, you know, mm-hmm. even when my child was over 13, right. I was thinking, how could I leave an aircraft if, if we were had, if there was a, I would have to know where my child was, that she was Absolutely. safe that, and that we were I getting would too. off together. And I, you know, I, I testify on safety issues all the time. I'm a former airline employee. But in the end, I could never leave a, an aircraft and, and know that my son was behind me. Right. And, yeah, and, and then could? and then in in going back downstream as everybody is trying to get sure. off as efficiently as possible, sure. you're causing a problem. Well, that's so that's why we're acting at Consumer Reports. And so what, what are you what are you doing? How are we? Reacting? So what we've done, I mean, part of it is 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 outreach, and that's why we want to thank you so much for having us on, so we can talk to people about this. And the DOT has a complaint system set up, and for many years we've been critical of it because we feel that. Most consumers just don't even know about it. Sure. Most airline passengers yeah. don't get off a flight and say, "Well, I've got to contact the DOT." Um, <laughs> they, but but it's you know, it's it would almost be laughable if it wasn't so serious because yeah. the bottom line is, the DOT states publicly that it, it acts on issues based on how the needle moves on complaints. Hmm. So we have argued that that's 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 a flawed system. Number right. one, not all complaints are created equal. Obviously, if your baggage is scuffed. Are you going to are you going to equate yeah. that the same as having a child that you know potentially could be assaulted on an aircraft? It's not even close, right. right? So the numbers shouldn't move the needle. But further, you know, we we believe that far too many people don't know about the DOT's complaint system. Yeah, and now we're starting to see proof because recently uh, Consumer Reports put a post up on our on our website consumerreports.org where we're asking for these complaints and we're doing outreach and we're we're, we're spreading the word through social media and other ways and we saw that in the first 2 days when that link went up we got more than twice as many complaints to forward to the DOT than the DOT gave us in our in our Freedom of Information Act request over two years. Wow. So um, they're still coming in, and, and we imagine they will continue. And were these all issues where, where people had been separated from their children and, and bad things had happened, or were there other people who wrote in? I mean, what, what were right. the complaints about? Most of them were, uh, were issues where parents and, and caregivers, grandparents, things like that, mm-hmm. um, where they had the experience themselves. Others are just weighing in to show that this just say that they are horrified by this. They can't right. understand a how the airlines can do it and b how the DOT can allow the airlines to do it. And um, you know, unfortunately, I have to say we're not surprised because we've seen this on many serious safety issues and consumer issues in recent years. Well, wasn't there? I mean, isn't just on another topic very briefly? We've got about a minute. Isn't the DOT right now also looking at? Uh, the size of passengers and the size of the seats, because that's Absolutely. a huge issue, right? Yes, it is. I mean, it's a it's a safety issue. Besides the comfort issue and, right. the, and all of that, it's a it's a health issue due to you know deep vein thrombosis and clotting issues. But it's a safety issue. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the the FAA is supposed to do uh, testing for evacuations, and we feel the testing is flawed. So we've mm. spoken well, out the, on that. The testing is very old. They haven't they haven't Absolutely. done a timed test since they've been using Americans computer modeling. Got bigger. Right. Yeah. And since the seats got tighter and, and since yeah. the flights got fuller and since all the carry-on bags. Yeah. So many things have changed. So if somebody wants to file a complaint, they go to consumerreports.org? Consumerreports.org. It's right on the on the homepage. And we will forward that complaint directly to the DOT on their behalf. I hope all of our listeners will do so, whether or not you have children. Uh, this is something we all need to do to protect our children. Thank you, Bill, for appearing on The Travel Show. Thanks very much. I appreciate it.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, and on the phone we have one of our favorite guests and a very celebrated guest. I'm talking about Elaine Glusak, who just was named Travel Journalist of the Year by the Society of American Travel Writers. Congratulations, Elaine. Oh, thank you so much. So you write a lot for the New York Times. Uh, that's one of the reasons you won. And you, you wrote a fascinating article recently about how we should shift our minds in terms of how we think of long weekend getaways. Um, what do I mean by that? That's right. So we decided to look at what would it mean in terms of cost savings if we shifted the weekend from Friday to Sunday, which is traditional, to Saturday to Monday. And the idea there is to take advantage of a Sunday night hotel stay. Um, Generally speaking, um, Sunday nights are the lowest occupancy night of the week. Um, They are vacated by leisure travelers and business travelers haven't arrived yet. So one source described it to me as the orphaned night of the week. Yeah, I discovered that when I was working on my New York City book. Sunday rates can often be 30 or 40 percent off what you'd pay on a Saturday or a Monday. It's kind of amazing. Oh, it's a great deal. I mean, it's almost a secret. It's a hiding in plain sight kind of deal. Of course, you have to shift your whole weekend and, you know, maybe take Monday off um, instead of taking your Friday off. But you'll also save, in that case, on airfare a little bit. Why is that? Um, Because the flights are a little bit cheaper um, going back on Monday as opposed to going out on Friday. So um, I found through Hopper, which is a a flight app, that you'll save about 10%. um, But that translated to about $30 a person. So if you're talking a couple or even a family, that's quite a bit of savings. And you did this for several different destinations. You you, you, uh, figured out how much the savings would be. Let's go through those destinations. What was the first one? Uh, let's see. Did we start with Las Vegas? I'm Well, that's I'm, where you are right now, so let's start with Las Vegas. <laughs> so let's start with Las Vegas because I'm here. Um, absolutely. Las Vegas is all over the map. Um, this is one of the, the cities that we found had so much variability um, that it really depends on the calendar hmm. because they have a lot of convention traffic. Yes. Convention traffic does happen on the weekends, but it also affects their weekends. They also have a lot of events. On mm-hmm. weekends. Right. So Las Vegas was a little bit tricky. We were not totally convinced that sh- the shift was was a super good idea depending on the date, although um, Sunday was still a pretty good night to be in Las Vegas. I always recommend to people that they go to the Las Vegas, Vegas Convention and Visitors Bureau website where there's a list of big conventions. And if it's a huge convention, just don't take your vacation there then because you're not going to find anything affordable. Yeah, that's excellent advice. And I actually did that myself because I found last week it was packed and the, the rates that I'm paying now are are super cheap and they were going to be like about four times more if I had gone the previous week. Yeah, no, it's crazy. All right, so Las Vegas, you have to do a little bit more research before you book. This is less of a sure thing. But what about other cities? Give us some more examples. Sure. Um, yeah, we looked at Miami. Miami was a great deal. They um, uh, Miami has very low occupancy on Sunday and even Mondays if you could really extend the weekend. And so we found that you're saving about $40 on your stay um, per night. So that's a, a very good deal in Miami. And um, of course, you're going to, you know, maybe partying on Friday night, you know, at the club. If that's what you're into. Then you right. might, wanna, might not want to shift. 
Right. But if you sometimes you should also book the dates separately at your hotel, right? Because doesn't it sometimes happen that the first date you're in occupancy then rules what you'll be charged for the other nights of the week? Yeah, that's right. And and I found that in our New York analysis. I found that, like, if I did the shift, you know, to the Saturday and Sunday night stay, I was getting an average rate that was still higher than if I booked a Saturday night stay and a separate Sunday night stay. And and the saving was pretty significant. So um, in some cases, I think you need to play with the rates a little bit at your hotel website. So you you show up at the hotel and you tell them with a kind of grin on your face, I'm staying with you for three nights, but I have different reservations for each night. And hopefully <laughs> somebody takes pity on you and doesn't make you change rooms. Yes, I hope that's the case. <laughs> so what are the other, so that this is a big savings, I would also assume it's easier to get reservations at restaurants, maybe get into movie theaters, do events. I mean, are there other perks for shifting the weekend this way? Yeah, we found that that was um, a good point to make, is that Sunday was just a less popular day to go out so you might get that hot restaurant. You know, you give up some things like, um, you know, in New York, um, on Broadway, you're going to have to do the matinee on Sunday. There isn't usually an evening performance. That's not true across the board, but for most shows. Right. Um, the, the, the one city that was kind of the outlier was San Francisco. We found that it was really a very business-oriented city for all its leisure appeal, which was hmm. surprising. Right. Their highest occupancy night of the week is Wednesday at 88%, which wow. in hotel terms is like nearly sold out. Um so uh, it's almost like weekends were a little bit better, but Sunday was not good because a lot of uh, convention traffic was driving a Sunday night um, occupancy higher. Wow. Well, so so to, to sum up, for anybody who was tuning in late, we're speaking with Elaine Glusak, who just was named Best Travel Journalist of the Year by the Society of American Travel Writers. And she has a terrific article in the New York Times. If people want to find it online, what was the uh, – do you remember the uh, – title of the article oh my gosh um i'm not looking at it right now but if you go to nytimes.com and then put in new long weekend i know you'll get it new long weekend and and the basic idea of it is instead of going away on friday having your first night away be friday leave a day later leave saturday stay the sunday night return home monday and you can save big money because as you were saying people don't think of san francisco as a business city but of course it's the hub for silicon valley so avoiding when the business travelers want to be there can can translate into big big savings well thank you so much elaine always a pleasure speaking with you oh it's great to be back thanks for having me are listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Karen Schwartz, who writes often for The New York Times. She has a fascinating new piece called The Latest in Translation Devices. So, Karen, the big question is, you don't just go to Google Translate? (laughs) Well, some of us still do, but there is some new technology coming along that is going to make it a lot easier 
to actually have a conversation with someone who speaks a different language. How 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 will that happen? And and I love the subhead of this uh, piece in the Times, which references uh, the uh, babble fish. Which, if you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was this thing you put in your ear that instantaneously translated every language known to man uh, into your own ear. Do we have that on the horizon? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> But the babble fish could, could, as you said, instantaneously translate, and and we're not at that instantaneous point yet. But so, but, there's how many steps are there usually to translations? Let's let's so go to the basics. Happens, sure. So so basically, since 2016, when neural networks began handling um, speech to speech translation, everything has occurred in the same three step process. So what happens is, first of all, the automatic uh, speech recognition software takes words that I speak and transcribes it into spoken text. So let's say I'm, I'm trying to speak to somebody in French. So it will take my English and it will take the words that I say and it will, it will transcribe it into French text. Then the text is converted using the neural machine translation into the text of the other language. Hmm. So that the English text is now going to be converted into French text. And then finally, the third step is that that French text is going to be spoken by a voice modulation system, which will articulate it into the French so that the other person can understand it. So my words come out in a machine voice, not my own voice, but right. they're spoken and somebody else presumably can understand them. But that process causes a delay, and yeah. that's where we're not at the babblefish yet, because that delay causes problems. So... What's exciting about these new um, n- new technology is that it, it allows for much more instantaneous translation. So normally that conversion process causes a delay. So for instance, with my Google Translate, I say something and then it translates it. Right. And then you say something and it translates it. And for my story for the Times, I spoke to an expert named Graham Newbig who um, works at Carnegie Mellon University. And he said what's really exciting about these new um new translators, is that because they get rid of some of that lag time, it means that a conversation doesn't take quite twice as long, and so it'll be much more natural, and people will be more likely to engage with one another. And they come in the form of earphones, so they are on your ear, right, these new translation (laughs) things? That's correct. One of them, them, which is called the uh, WT2 Plus, um, which is made by a company called Time Kettle, which is Chinese. Hmm. Um, that one is an earbud that sits in your ear, kind of like the, uh, you know, like a, a music earbud does. And um, generally speaking, both people wear them. Although it, you can also use your phone to translate, um, where you wear one and then your phone handles the other part of it. The other one is called an ambassador, and it's from a New York-based company called Waverly Labs. And that one is more like a headphone, just a single headphone that sits over the ear. Huh. And, and both of these come with two of them when you when you purchase them they they come with a pair. And do they they still use the three steps but they just do it much faster is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the the WT2 plus can um starts to translate even while I'm still talking. Hmm. So it it almost feels like it's it it's like a almost feels like you're a person is translating where they hear what you're saying and are talking simultaneously. So, so that it's like you're at the United Nations with one exactly. of the translators in your ear. And I exactly. thought it was you give an example in this in the article about how intuitive 
this, what I assume is artificial intelligence is. There was a, a Spanish saying that, me, that meant roughly when something bad happens, good will come from it. And that was translated to every cloud has a silver lining when it was in English. Correct. And what's happening there is that the translation software over time um, has gotten so much better. And now instead of translating individual words, it translates phrases. And so it can recognize a phrase like that and, and it can translate it. So it can, it, you know, something that won't mean the same thing in another language, it can find a similar expression and translate it into that. And so those are advances that have happened anyhow. But these new earbuds, because the, like the ambassador even lets you interrupt somebody and translates as you're talking, so mm. it allows for that exchange of information, right. which is not something that has been happening before. Now, how much do these cost? We've got about 30 seconds left. Great. So um, the... Um, the uh, the time the WT2 Plus is two hundred and thirty dollars, mm-hmm. and the Ambassador is one hundred and fifty. And just to point out, both of these, while they come with one earpiece, both companies say that they on an advanced um, you know a current iPhone um, will work with more than one. So right. you know if you're traveling with a spouse or something and you want to be able to communicate in more than one group, you can do that. It's uh, fascinating. Everybody should read this article. It's in the New York Times. It's called the latest in translation. Uh, devices from Karen Schwartz. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Welcome back to The Travel Show. You know, we started this hour by talking about Fromer's Best Places to Go in 2020 article. This is an article that we work on for months. We poll all of the Fromer's authors who are embedded in destinations around the world. And we say, what are some places that you know about, but that nobody else knows about or that are having really special celebrations this year or are suddenly much cheaper And one of our top writers of our newly released Spain book, Fromer Spain, a gentleman named uh, Peter Barron, who uh, lives partially in Madrid and partially in the region I'm about to talk about. He worked for Reuters for many years. Now he's working for us, a top travel journalist. He said, everybody goes to Spain. We have some of the biggest tourist numbers in all of Europe but nobody goes to the region known as Extremadura. One of the reasons for that is that it's almost impossible to, pr- to pronounce that word, Pauline. <laughs> Extremadura. Extremadura. It is the area that actually most of Spain's great explorers from the 1600s and 1700s, they were born in this region. Interestingly enough, because it's a landlocked region, kind of up near the border with Portugal. Uh, it's a, a rural region, but because so many of these great explorers came from there, they brought a lot of the gold <laughs> that they found in the New World back. And so you see these incredibly rich medieval churches or renaissance era churches from that time. Uh, you go to castles, you have fascinating uh, times at wineries. You you have great, great food, and yet you do this 
with nobody else around. And a lot of these sites are UNESCO World Heritage sites, like the capital is known as Merida, and it has some of the finest Roman ruins outside of Italy. And they have this incredible 2,000-year-old open-air theater where in the summer months they have concerts. And so you can sit as the ancient Romans would have done for a performance just where they they would have. Now, some of our listeners may have already seen Extremadura but not realized it because Extremadura was used as a set for the wildly popular series Game of Thrones. And so you have a lot of things, a lot of ancient castles and beautiful medieval towns that that you didn't realize where they were when you were watching Game of Thrones. They are in Extremadura. We were so excited about this region that when we were putting together uh, the new version of the Fromer's Guide, um, we gave more space to it in this version because we really feel like it's a good place to go. It's also one of the few places in Spain, which is a very urban country, that has huge national parks. Uh, so if you're into birding, if you like want to walk in a an ancient f- pine forest, go horseback riding through it, you can do that. Uh, there's also so much to see and do. Oh, I'm looking at the clock. We have to say goodbye for this hour. We thank you for listening to those who are traveling a hearty bon, bon voyage. voyage.